G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. So we're just seeing incredible upside. So even if we're paying, you know, what we're paying per unit is going up, but we're seeing the rents just going up substantially. And as you know, and for listeners, the value of multifamily is different than single family. It's, it's typically based on how much income the property is producing. That's one way to value them. So when you see you're able to raise rents over the next couple of years, we just, we can't really see it. You know, it's very hard to see a situation that we're not going to win in those deals unless the flow of just migration stops, which, which, you know, obviously anything's possible, but I think that being landlord friendly, being business friendly, having space, having weather, having all those things, we're pretty, we're pretty big on those markets. So you know, I mean, there are many other markets, but I think just really being aware of, uh, you know, what, what's really driving, you know, population growth in these markets. And if you can get in front of that, I think is really, really powerful. I know that's true of the markets that you work in as well, you know, in, in, in Arizona and in Texas as well. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Bronson Hill. Now, Bronson is the managing partner of Bronson Equity, and he is a general partner in over 1,500 multifamily units worth over $150 million across the United States. Bronson also co-leads a very, very successful multifamily meetup in Pasadena called Phoebe Pasadena Multifamily, which you can go to www phoebepasadena.com. And I've had the pleasure of speaking at that event. It's a cracking event for anyone who's local here in Los Angeles. And Bronson is also the host of the Mailbox Money podcast. And he understands the investor mindset, having spoken to over 1,200 millionaires in the last couple of years. And he's raised over $20 million in the process. To top it all off, he's the author of the single best investment strategy during and after a pandemic, and is a regular contributor to his YouTube and his blog. But I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge with us. But enough of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Bronson. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, Reed. It's great connecting with you, man. I uh, just really enjoyed getting to know you over the years and uh, seeing all the value you're adding through things like this podcast, as well as just what you do with your business and how you help people to become financially free and really get great returns outside of the stock market. So I, can, I can get around that 100%. So I'm really happy to be here today. 
Thank you, man. And, and, and likewise, you know, I've known of you for many, many years. You've had, I've had the pleasure of speaking at your Phoebe event in Pasadena. It's a great event. And then putting in, again, the time and effort to put back to, to grassroots investing. I remember going to the first Phoebe event when I moved to Los Angeles back in 2014. I remember meeting your partner, Christina Studer, uh, and Suda, I should say, and walking up to her and, and, and introducing myself and being a complete newbie back in 2014. You know, I, I've dabbled a little bit in, in meetups, you know, in downtown Los Angeles. And it's, uh, it's, it's something, you know, it's a thankless job, but, but keep, keep it up, man, because that grassroots investor club mindset is really how I got my start when I first moved to the United States. And without those things, without those access to those clubs, it is people don't just don't understand where to go, start looking and start getting involved in real estate. So, so kudos to you as well, man. Thanks, man. It's an incredible resource that anybody lives in like a you know mid-sized to major metro area. If they're not going to like live in-person meetups, you're really missing out because it's just there's no way to substitute. I'm sure you agree as well. Just being in the room with people that are a step or two ahead and or maybe you're ahead and just we get so much value, Christina and I, just over doing that event because you know, it's not like there's a scarcity mindset of there's only so many deals, there's only so much money is we may do a deal together. It's the pie actually gets bigger as we collaborate and we help each other. So it really helps us a lot. We don't really make any money. We actually lose money on it, but we do it because we, we love it and we love adding value. And I've benefited, you know, I have 15X my net worth just in the last four or five years from doing things like that. And it's just amazing when you bring value, you add value, you're looking to help others. They're looking to help you. It's just amazing how collaborative and how powerful that energy is. Yeah, it's you know we we'll get into the show here in a minute, but I, but I just want to yeah, quickly put a stamp on that. How important again coming from Australia, I didn't when I first moved to the United States. I, I remember the first you know club, local real estate club I went to was the New York RIA, the Real Estate Investment Associations, which is across the United States. Uh, this is in 2012, and just the amount of awesome people in the room uh, that the and, and then the access to. What you mentioned before, any sort of mid-size to large-size MSA has one of these clubs. And, you know, whether you're traveling across the US, you can probably look up on meetup.com and you can find one of these clubs and attend it, right, for, for relatively low cost. And automatically, you're starting to surround yourself with local investors in that market. So if you are looking to invest those people who are listening to the show and you're looking to invest out of state, get on a plane and go to one of the meetups in that local market because you're going to be able to find a lot of great uh, local people that can help you point yourself in the right direction and help you get started. So, um, so again, kudos to you and, and keep keep up the good work because I know how hard it is to run a meetup event. Any organization in person, meeting monthly, meeting regularly is tough, particularly in a pandemic. Uh, so, so, so keep it up. And I know that over many, many years, it will come back in, in as you said, in tenfold or 15fold, yeah. as you just mentioned before. So <laughs> sure. with that being said, let's get into the show. So the question I'd like to ask all my guests when they come on today on the show is, Rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first of a dollar as a kid. Yeah, so I uh, I think the first first time I really started working, um, you know, it was a little bit later. I, I you know got allowance when I was a kid, but when I was uh, fourteen, I started doing paper routes. So we had paper delivery service for newspapers. You know, when I would do it after school in middle school, so I do it every day after school. My older brother had done it. I followed my older brother Roman in a lot of stuff. And I learned a lot from him, but basically, you know, it, it was a great lesson in just responsibility that every single day, you know, it'd be during the afternoons after school in the weekdays and in the morning on Saturday, Sundays. I remember, you know, literally in Seattle where I grew up, it'd be snowing, it'd be cold, it'd be, I would have been up till 1am the next morning. I still had to get up at 6am to go deliver newspapers and just that responsibility and the consistency what uh, was required over the next couple of years really taught me a lot about just, you know, what it takes to be successful. I, I really see that now. What I do now is just, you know, if we're consistent, we show up every day. I mean, you and I know we don't really have anybody who's watching us what we're doing every day. But if we can just bring, you know, who we are, we can bring value, we can show up, we can work hard. Just amazing what we can accomplish. Yeah, no, it 100% is. And, and, and having a paper out, having those things Early on in life, give you know, really teaches you the value of a dollar, value of a buck, and and how you go stretch that. And, and I remember being a kid in in my first uh, first job and owning seven bucks an hour at the local cafe, and you know, four or five hours a weekend, and it was just enough to sort of put some money in your pocket. And 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 again, taught you the value of hard work. So um, and and what I, what you just mentioned, more consistency. So walk us now through the story of Bronson and how you've come into the world of real estate. I'm, I'm, everyone has a past story. Everyone has a backstory. Did you come from the corporate world? And, and, and why did you, if you did, why did you leave it? 
So I'll give the modified version, but it's some elements that I usually don't talk about. So when I was uh, in high school, actually, I had this, this amazing kind of spiritual experience where I just, you know, was, it was actually in church, but I really felt like God, you know, reached out to me and wanted, you know, to plan for my life. And just, there was this real spiritual kind of awakening that happened in me. And so I, I really was into golf and I actually wanted to be a pro golfer at the time. This is back at like age 17, 18. And then yet this, there was this door open to basically be a youth pastor at my church. So I basically decided to do that just at a young age, 18, 19, I got a chance to impact a lot of people. It was really fun. And I kind of have gone back and forth from like, I want to make an impact in the world to like, I really want to make a difference in business. And so I've had kind of this business and ministry kind of back and forth. So I had about five years I spent working at churches. I was a high school youth pastor with about 200 kids at a large church in Montana. I did some overseas work and you've gone to Africa. A lot of people don't know that I've done that. And then for 10 years, I actually, after that kind of ended up uh, for 10 years, I did medical device sales which people say, oh, it's such a big transition. But again, it was just a chance to serve people in another way and really help and add value and work hard and be consistent, all that stuff. And then about four years ago, I uh, had been doing single family for a number of years, had a small single family portfolio. But my cousin, who's really into multifamily, was like, hey, why don't you do multifamily? And I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. And so he said, well, you can raise the money. So he said, you know, go, go to this event, read this book, listen to this podcast. I did everything he said, started a meetup with Christina or kind of co that meetup. Uh, found my first investor, and then I partnered with a call somebody like a, who's a somebody who became a partner, and we raised fifteen million dollars over the next couple of years. So, so it kind of like there's a lot of steps between that, but um, it's just amazing. I feel like now when it comes to mission, my mission really is obviously to help people become financially free investing outside of Wall Street. Because I think that Wall Street really is you know set up to kind of cheat people over time. And I actually used to be an investment advisor for a few years, kind of in there. There was some of that. But, um, and also too, my big why is really to end human slavery in the world. And there's actually 20 to 40 million human slaves today, which is kind of hard to believe, but it just, in the world today, there are more human slaves than there actually been in the entire history of the world. And some of it's sexual human slavery, some of it's labor slavery, and there's all kinds of things. But just this insidious problem that to me is like a reason why I want to generate all this capital as wealth. And so we can create awareness and really help stop this. Yeah, that, that, wow. That's it, it sounds like you've come from a very self-aware point in your life, being a pastor and, and, and being involved in a religious way um, in and around self-awakening and, and helping others. I think it's, you, I could see you wanting to do and be more than just, you know, being a real estate investor and having financial freedom for yourself, you know, having that bigger North star, which I think is very, very important to so many people when you get involved in, in, in real estate, because people sometimes just aimlessly say, I want to get involved in real estate, but they don't actually have a, have a big why behind them or, or don't have a direction, at least in, 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 in mind. Yeah. There's that book by Simon Sinek, that famous book, if anyone has read it, it's called start with why. And it's just the idea of, you know, start with why you're doing it. And it's, I, I personally, my belief is, you know, a yachts and Mai Tai lifestyle, well, that would be fun and great. And people that I know that have gotten that, they've kind of really felt a big sense of emptiness when they get there. So I do think a strong why, and it can just be like, hey, I want to spend more time with my family. I want to make an impact in my community. I want to give money away. I want to give time. I want to have, but when you become financially free, it allows you just to be able to say, what do I want to spend my time doing? Because really time is your time is the most valuable thing you have. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. And everybody's got the same amount, whether you're Elon Musk or Bezos or you or I or anybody, it's, it's we all the same amount of time. So how do we want to invest that in the people around us? That's 100% correct, 100% correct. So talk to me about, and, and, and the, 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 impetus, the impetus of this show is going to be around building your capital raising um, you know, prowess, Coming from you know medical sales, I've known you personally for a couple of years now. I've seen you grow in the space of raising capital. But how? Just talk to us. How hard is it to get started raising dollars from other people when you don't have a lot of experience or you don't have a lot of to offer? You know, uh, yeah. And because there's so many mental barriers along the way, and I'm sure we'll talk about the different platforms you've created. But 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 I wanted to sort of start with the. You remind yourself back when, when you were raising capital for the first time. Yeah, it, 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 it's a really tricky thing to figure out in the beginning because, you know, when I first started trying to do this, I was a full-time medical sales guy. All my friends and family knew me that I was the guy who would go into surgery and help physicians with their heart surgical stuff. And uh, it's just, it's kind of an odd ask, you know, when you're like, hey, I'm raising money for a deal. Um, it's almost like if you go to your car mechanic and he's like, hey, uh, you have this problem with your car, but I'm raising money for this real estate deal. 
Uh, like it just doesn't make sense. It's like, but this person doesn't really, it just, the story doesn't quite make sense. So the biggest thing, like I started doing, and I think anybody who's starting this should do is just to start telling, telling your story, telling you, Hey, this is what I'm working on. These are the things I'm learning. These are the things that are happening. I remember I had that first kind of, my first raise, I feel like I kind of got my teeth kicked in a little bit where I was like, I'm going to raise all this money. It's going to be amazing. I've got friends and family, everything. Well, I had 62 conversations with friends and family. I went through the survey, you know, of all the questions and their goals and things. And I had absolutely zero invest. I had no investors come from that, but my first investor came from a guy who was actually at my first meetup. We had 60 people there. I partnered with uh, Christina, as you mentioned, that she had a successful meetup that was a general real estate meetup. And I said, hey, Christina, let's do it. I known her for a number of years. She'd been a mentor and a friend. And I said, hey, what if we start another one just on multifamily? I said, I'll do all the work. You just show up. We'll kind of co-brand it. We'll have it be branded with Phoebe. And she's like, that sounds great. So showed up. I had a guy who, who I met at that meeting who said, hey, uh, you know, I, I'd invest in one of your deals. Never met this guy before. I'd invest in one of your deals. So I got coffee with him and he said, yeah. I'd, and I showed him a sample deal. just not, not a real deal, just a deal. What a deal would look like if I had one. And he said, yeah, I'd invest like a hundred thousand in that. And so I introduced him to another guy who was actually at that meeting was raising money currently for a deal. So I basically brought those two people together. And that's a great way to look at, at how, you know, raising capital works, right? You're bringing a deal together with people that have money looking for a deal, but it, it really didn't take off for me until months later. I mean, I was continuing to grind, continue to learn, continue to analyze yeah. deals, going to events, trying to network, trying to all kinds of things. But when I found a partner that basically uh, had a huge platform of really helping active syndicators. So if you and I are like, hey, if someone's listening, like, hey, I want to figure out how to do the deal myself. And he had a list of like 40,000 people on his list. And I basically approached him. I said, how's it going raising money? And I understood that they actually had a lot of trouble raising capital because they just weren't focused on it all. They were only focused on kind of selling their programs and kind of focused on kind of building that side. But I said, I know there's doctors and lawyers and business people and these kind of people that are never going to want to own a building and operate themselves, but they would love to passively invest. So we created a funnel. I started, you know, while working my regular job, I started taking, you know, 15 to 20 calls a week, sometimes at six in the morning, sometimes at two or 3 PM, 4 PM, 7 PM. Sometimes I just take a day off and I'd stack 20 calls back to back where we'd have from seven in the morning till 5 PM without a break. And it was exhausting, but I actually got equity in deals, which was really exciting. So anyway, I, talk for a long time about all that, but I'm sure there's a lot of directions we can go with that. No, no, this is great. I love, I love when you just talk because it's so funny. Verbatim, you mentioned, you, you described my first capital raise as well. 50, I had 50 people on, <laughs> on the, on the list. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely going to raise $500,000 here. Like going to crack this out of the park. I'm working as a structural engineer in downtown Los Angeles. I think I had my own little meetup and it was just like, it wasn't any sophisticated like yours. It was just like, Hey, come to this bar on a Thursday and we'll, we'll do happy hour. You know, it was nothing, yeah. it was nothing crazy. And uh, I remember just hearing crickets, absolute silence. You know, yeah. pitched. And I think <laughs> ultimately two or three people ended up investing. But then I remember reading a book called uh, key person of influence. They talk about the, the social pitch, uh, the scheduled pitch, and then the sales pitch. And, and it was after that, I read that book and I remember looking back on it going, yeah, my social pitch and, and my social proof around raising capital was just zero, right? The people thought mm. of me as the engineer. People thought right. of you as the, you know, the, the, the medical sales guy. And, and it's right. just so hard to, not hard, it takes time to change people's perception of who you are, right? It takes a lot of conversations. So things like books, things like podcasts, things like newsletters, Things like getting on the phone and just having chats with people start slowly changing people's mindset. I think there's a stat out there. You've got to tell someone like 10 times before they change their perception or before they, it sinks in of what you're telling them, regardless of what it is. So if you're telling yeah. someone, I'm a real estate investor, 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 like, it takes that many times to st- oh, he's a real estate investor. Got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, in, in your experience too, I mean, I think Hunter Thompson, who's raised like 30 yep. or $50 million, now he's- he said the same thing, crickets. He had this big dinner. He's going to have all this money and nobody invested. It was, and so that's kind of like a prerequisite. So I think if you're going to get to success, you have to be willing to come become uncomfortable. And just. And I realized, like, I think through that is like this information and this learning and this process is so valuable. And now I see it where I've, you know, I've, I've you know, 10x, 15x my net worth. And I know you've seen it as well. But it's the process of telling your story. One way that I've, I've actually been able to tell my story is, and I think this is kind of step one for a lot of people, is just started like an uh, active campaign or MailChimp. These are email marketing programs 
where you, you know, once a week or once a month, you just post information about what you're doing and you don't include anybody who would threaten your job or anything. You just put it like friends or family or people related to you. And it just starts some of those conversations. And then you get used to, you know, maybe sharing a video or doing a blog or just writing. I went to this conference. Here's what I'm, here's what I like about multifamily. And just, you start doing that stuff. And it's just, if you can do it consistently, maybe it's every week or every month you're putting a newsletter out or you're talking to friends or family or going to meetups and you're just continuing to put stuff out there. And I think, I do think the content production process, and I'm sure you could probably speak to this as well. It's just, it's really led to a lot of my successes. I've continued to build a platform. I've continued to build, you know, blogs and emails. We do 10 videos a month now that we're putting out on YouTube and different places. And it's just amazing how that stuff, like people share it and they watch it and they talk about it and then you interview people. And it's just like, just like your podcast, I'm sure people like they hear about it and they get introduced. Like I'll get introduced to some of your people. And then when I've had you on mine, you know, or I don't think I've had you on, I need to have you on mine. And so they will introduce to my people. And it's just amazing how, when you get known, you get out there and people get to know you as, Oh, you're this guy who does real estate. And then it just like, everything starts to change, but it, it takes, it takes a lot. Of, it takes longer than I think it should, but also people want to see that you're consistent. They want to see that you're serious. They want to see that, you know, you're not the first, it's not the first deal you've done. And then it gets right. much easier after that. <laughs> no, you, you're exactly correct. And, and, and around the story is so important, creating the story. And, and I remember when I first created the podcast uh, back in 2014, like I've been going you know, six, seven years now. Like it's crazy. Through over 300 episodes that helped create the book. It helped create my second book. It helped create other things around it. And I remember in the back in the day, you know, talking about you know, writing a blog. I'm like, I'm so bad at writing a blog. I hate writing the blog. I freaking hate it, you know? And so choosing a medium that you really like. And I happen to really, really like audio and just chatting with people, right? And, and hearing other people's stories because that's what this podcast has morphed into is a platform for other people to come on and share their vulnerabilities around building success in real estate. So, uh, but when I got started, I remember thinking again, crickets, but you've got to be consistent at it. And now through production of content, you can create other content, i.e. books and audio books and YouTube clips and all this other stuff. And I've got a team that does it, a lot of it, but I'm sort of trying, I remember in the beginning, like I still remember the first time editing one of my first ever podcasts and my wife's like, what are you doing? You're like, you go to Upwork and find someone to edit the podcast for you. And it was just like, yeah, I don't need to be doing this at all. Yeah. No, on, that, on that point, it's so true. Cause I remember when I first started doing this, I remember just feeling like, I'm not a tech guy. Like I've just never been a tech. Like, I just, this is so overwhelming. Like how in the world can I do all this stuff? Whenever some people look at me now, like how in the world are you doing all this? Well, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, he says, you should repurpose your content at least five different times. So I started doing this now. I realized like I watched somebody else do this and I realized you could do it to where you learn kind of the processes. And if you can learn it, then you can teach it, right? You can hire a VA, you can do things like little videos that can kind of show screen share. This is what, and you can teach it one time and now somebody else has it. But like when I work, I create four videos a month of medium kind of whiteboard explainer videos that's for YouTube. And then from there, I have it transcripted. My virtual assistant who's full-time with me in the Philippines will transcript that whole thing. Then we'll send it to a US-based writer that will take that and turn it into a pretty nice blog. So I pay $30 an hour for the writer to basically, you know, a couple hours to convert that into a blog. And then that gets sent out every week via email. So again, there's a weekly blog with a video that comes out every single week. So I batch those videos, I record them, I kind of record them all together and stuff. But um, it, it, and then I, I basically send, you know, some of that gets repurposed where we pull little clips out of it for the video. Obviously it goes, it can go as a blog on YouTube, on, on LinkedIn and other places. So it's just amazing that you don't have to be creating you know, so many different things, this stuff can be repurposed and there are team members that you can hire and they're actually not that expensive. It's just, you gotta be willing to do a little bit of work to figure out how to set it up. But once it's set up, as you know, it kind of runs and then you just kind of keep adding new elements to it. And so you start with one thing. So if it's your blog, you start with a blog, then you can add in a video or then you can add a podcast. And it's actually, it doesn't actually take that much more time, but it takes time to first start it. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value add deals, then head over to readgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up and coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to readgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. 
I 100% agree with that. And and it's, um, I'll have to get your recommendation of the content writer for that 30 bucks an hour because uh, I, I have very similar steps in my um, funnel, uh, sorry, not funnel, um, in the process. But, but stuff like creating a, an online funnel, I don't want to freaking figure that out. Like there's a whole business in just creating funnels. It's like, no, I need to hire someone to go. I know I need to do it, but I don't necessarily need to be the person actually doing the work. So I'm very similar to, I think it's probably cut from the same cloth in terms of that. In terms of just, just, just sort of rounding that conversation out around capital raising and the consistency piece, what do you, what's the sort of goal now for you in terms of producing content? Um, because it clearly seems like that is your key to raising more money is to be consistent for videos a month, you know, repurposing all the blogs and the contents. Where do you want it to go? Are you, do you have a goal in mind of, of you want to raise a hundred million dollars or like what's, what's the ultimate capital raising strategy and goal for, for, for Bronson equity? Well, I really think um, for me, this is going to sound a little bit detached from what you just said, but I think it's, again, it's just starting with the why. So it's thinking more about what sort of impact do I want to make and I think it's just that there are so many people out there that are just buying stocks and bonds. They're buying traditional assets. I mean, having all these calls of millionaires realize, you know, they have a few problems. They're very busy. They typically pay way too much in taxes and they don't really know how to invest. And so, you know, if I can help solve a problem there, it'd be really great. I, my opinion is that 98% of people that should be investing in your deals, reader, and my deals, they've never even heard of syndication. They don't know anybody that does it. They just, it feels weird. It's out of place. So I think there's got to be a way that we can as a whole syndication syndicators, we can tap the mainstream. And we're obviously we're competing with Wall Street. And the reason why Wall Street wins is they, they spend billions and billions of dollars in advertising and they have lobbyists and there's different things there. But I think that when you have a grassroots message that's saying, hey, we can get better returns in Wall Street without the volatility and incredible tax benefits, and, you know, I mean, I just, I, it's just amazing to me, you know, having been an investment advisor, the wool has been pulled over our eyes as consumers that like, we think that traditional investments are stocks and bonds. I have a feeling over the next five, 10 years, stocks and bonds could get absolutely destroyed. I mean, there was a time when stocks, you know, in 1929, when they crashed and everybody was investing in stocks where they crashed and it took 25 years for it to get back just to the point where it was. And that even includes inflation. Like it wasn't even taking account inflation, probably would be even higher, you know, without that. But um, so anyway, I guess the whole thing is just to say, what's the mission there? So, I mean, you know, there's dollar amounts, there's more amounts I want to raise and things like that. But I think it's just, you know, writing more resources, more guides, more books, more events, more stuff that will really be helpful to people that they can get a hold of a system, they can get a hold of something that really helps them get from, I've never really heard of this thing, or maybe I've heard of it, but I don't know, it just sounds weird to like, okay, I actually feel comfortable wiring 100K to somebody I've never met and doing a deal. And maybe, you know, somebody with a $5 million net worth can say, hmm, maybe it's possible I could leave my job in a few years by replacing my income, or at least my expenses with passive investing. So to me, I think that's the biggest like thing I'm really going for is how do we tap into that blue ocean space of not just the, like the real estate space, but like the entrepreneur and the lifestyle space, right? So that's I think the biggest thing I'm working on right now. No, I, I love that, and and something about going back to the why and making sure you you, ne- you never forget what that why looks like because that is so important to to keep you in that consistency phase, to keep you going, to keep you getting up. And as you mentioned earlier, no one's looking over your shoulder to see if Bronson's doing any work. It's all self motivation. So um, so awesome stuff. In the green room, when we before we press record here, you talked about one thing you just mentioned there, inflation, right? And and you you have a you have a bit of an opinion on on where we are right now, given given the environment. Yeah, let's let's dive into it in terms of how you've seen and you you know you've even written the book on how to invest in and do, or in or after a pandemic. So let's open that can of worms up and 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 let's start at the top of like how you've seen in specifically the commercial multifamily real estate space change in terms of valuations and how that's impacted, inflation has impacted your portfolio and, and what does that mean moving forward? Well, there's a lot we could talk for hours yeah. about just what you just said right there, but uh, I'll just kind of give a quick little overview. So uh, again, a lot of us in the real estate world or the investing world just simply look at our own asset class. If you invest in stocks or bonds, you kind of just look at that. If you're a real estate investor, you kind of just look at real estate. But above real estate, you have really macroeconomics, you have really what's happening in the world. We have a situation right now that in the last 24 months, it's been somewhere between 30 and 40% 
of all the U.S. currency in existence has been created either physically or digitally, which is just absolutely staggering if you think about. So there's a reason why real estate is going up. There's a reason why multifamily and all these things are going up. And we see that inflation, you know, they're saying eight and a half percent. I personally believe it's somewhere between 15 and 20 percent if you actually count rents and you count other things in there. And if you think about that, just 100K sitting in the bank is losing 15 to $20,000 per year. That's just really, uh, that's terrible. It's harsh. It's, it's awful. But you know, when we think about really what wealth is, wealth is not holding dollars. It's not holding cash. It's not um, having, you know, real estate or other things. It's basically having something that actually produces wealth. It's production, it's productive assets, or it's a store of value, right? So I actually really like physical metals. I invest in, you know, gold and silver. I've just recently turned the corner. I'm a real asset guy, but I've just turned the corner to get into uh, owning some Bitcoin off of an exchange. Uh, the reason why is looking at some of the Canadian trucker situation that if you gave to support a cause you believe in, uh, they could shut down your assets and say, this money you think is your money is not actually your money. So I do think having some something outside of the financial system is important. But uh, you know, when it comes to inflation, really the ideal way with the majority of someone's wealth to do is to go from cash to asset to cash flow. So meaning if I you know, put 80% of my net worth or my wealth that I have to invest into an asset that pays me to hold it, and there's an inflation hedge there, it's 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 just it's amazing, and then the, the 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 super bonus, like the super benefit of all of this, is with inflation. When we buy multifamily apartments, and you know this as well, basically, let's say we buy a ten million dollar building, and we only rate, you know, let's say we put twenty to. 20 to 25% down and it goes up 20 to 25%, we've pretty much just doubled our equity in the deal because we're using leverage. So basically we're getting lower rates than inflation, substantially lower than inflation. We're able to use other people's money to do it. And so over time, that debt is gonna be worth less, right? Because we're printing more and more money. So we pay it off with future dollars. And we know the property is going to be worth more. So it's kind of like a double positive. Your property is going to be worth more. I mean, there may be some short-term fluctuations, but long-term, it's going to be worth more and the debt is going to be worth less. So that's just a little touch on inflation. But yeah, there's a lot to talk about there. And there's a lot of stuff that I kind of geek out on. Yeah, look, look, I love it. And it, 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 it's so true about the, the four sort of pillars of why you invest in multifamily. It, it's different. To, it's a physical asset. You have people paying off your your your, amortize, your amortization of the loans, which is paid from, from rent. You have your cash flow, you have the appreciation, you know, you also have the tax benefits, right? The, the depreciation, the accelerated depreciation. But talk to me a little bit about like you, you and I have both been in the game for long enough to know that, you know, cash flowing multifamily is becoming harder and harder to find, right? It's not as sexy as what it was back in 2014 or 15. So how are you having that conversation with people in and around the cash flow piece? And are you looking at certain markets across the United States in order to sort of keep 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 sort of spouting off the the, the cash flow you know quadrant, so to speak, in terms of all the benefits of investing directly in the multifamily? Yeah. So it's interesting. I think it's it's uh, interesting. You and I both live in California. And we don't really invest in California. I actually don't own anything in California. It's all you know Southeast. Um, I, we've started doing a lot of work in the Jacksonville, Florida area. I love the market. I think I was mentioning that in our green room earlier. But uh, just the idea, you know, when you're buying in a place where population is growing, uh, California has a net uh, population loss. And when you count the birth rate, even so, even with the birth rate, we're still losing people. People are moving Texas, Florida, wherever else. But when you're moving to an area like, for example, I'll just kind of highlight why I like the Jacksonville area. I like it because the population is growing. There's many reasons for that. Somebody can retire from New York or Chicago. They can buy instead of you know an eight, nine hundred thousand dollar house, they can buy a decent house in a good neighborhood for three hundred thousand. So it's cheaper for every retired person that moves there. They've got to have services, the people clean the house, the retail, the restaurants, the medical, all that stuff, the cars. So they've got to have support for all this. And so we're just seeing such population growth citywide. We've got like a 97% occupancy in the city, just of all units. So uh, we, we've had, we had this deal we did in March that we bought for 27 million. It was a 288 unit apartment complex. We plan to hold it for six years and hopefully double the investor equity. We sold it for 30, 37 and a half million, 10 months later. And that's not just like our, our geniuses. You know, obviously we look like geniuses, sometimes we feel like geniuses, but it's, it's not the case. It's right, it's just, we're buying, you know, we're buying well, we're trying to buy well, but we still see so much upside. So we're seeing deals that we're, we're looking at 
where some rents are just, you know, mom and pop ownership. We have some inside access to deals. We're seeing, you know, 900 to to $1,000 a month in rent on average, where the average rent of our renovated units in that market are like 1400 or 1425. So we're just seeing incredible upside. So even if we're paying, you know, what we're paying per unit is going up, but we're seeing the rents just going up substantially. And as you know, and for listeners, the value of multifamily is different than single family. It's, it's typically based on how much income the property is producing. That's one way to value them. So when you see you're able to raise rents over the next couple of years, we just, we can't really see, you know, it's very hard to see a situation that we're not going to win in those deals unless the flow of just migration stops, which, which, you know, obviously anything's possible, but I think that being landlord friendly, being business friendly, having space, having weather, having all those things, we're pretty, we're pretty big on those markets. So, you know, I mean, there are many other markets, but I think just really being aware of, uh, you know, what, what's really driving, you know, population growth in these markets. And if you can get in front of that, I think is really, really powerful. I know that's true of the markets that you work in as well, you know, in, in, in Arizona and in Texas as well. You know, it's interesting to see that type of these secondary, and I even probably call Jacksonville a tertiary market. It's, it's to some extent when you compare it to LA, New York, you know, as an international person, I think of a primary market as I'm going to go there and have a holiday, right? You know, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, some parts of Miami. Secondary markets might be, you know, your, your Denver's and your Arizona's. And again, I'm, I, this is a Reed Goosen's take on it, right? Sure. And then you've got, yeah, Jacksonville, Florida, probably ain't on the list of where I'm going to go you know, holiday. It's a lovely place, but it's also affordable. It's, it's, it's that right size between affordability and growth. So do you think in these types of markets, in, you're going to start to have affordability issues as things ramp up so much, tying back to your inflationary comment earlier, that, you know, I'm seeing it in my markets that is just rents are going from that 900 bucks where people are like, I'm going to move here and pay $900 for a two bedroom. And now they're $1,500. Like, how is that playing out in real time on the ground with renters, with that population growth, because you know you get to fifteen hundred dollars, are you going to turn into another California or another place where it becomes really unaffordable to live? It's a really good question, and it's surprising about a market like a Jacksonville because it's actually the fourteenth largest city in the country. So a lot of people don't realize. Like, so you know, you kind of put it again, yeah, like you said, maybe second, you know, second tier kind of secondary market, but uh, you're right. You know, what, what's the point you get to where it's just, it gets to be unaffordable or do people start going further away to find places to live? But I think it's just, you know, in areas people would like to be in Florida. There's a lot of reasons they would like to be there. Um, and and you know, we, we provide typically more workforce housing. So there's not going to be as many retirees or people working remotely that are living somewhere else, moving to Jacksonville, but there's a lot of redevelopment happening there, which we like, but uh, you know, yeah. It, what, what's the point where things become unaffordable. And I think it's the stuff that, you know, we're seeing, I'm actually big questions I'm having about single family right now in Los Angeles or other areas that as 30-year mortgage, you know, fixed rates, at least in December, were 2.9%. I think a week or two ago, they crossed 4.9%. Um, so that's like a 74% increase in the, just the single family mortgage rate. So, you know, that, that also, you know, it's a very dynamic market, right? Because you have an impact in that market where, you know, something, things start to go down or affordability goes down. And then does, how does that drive rentals? Does that push people into rentals or does it push people out of rentals and moving? So all this stuff is very dynamic, but I think that in general, um, you know, Miami and Orlando and Tampa, some of these bigger markets are getting to be more unaffordable. But if you're like, hey, I'd still like to have a pretty good quality of life. There's a, like I mentioned, a lot of redevelopment happening in some of these other areas like Jacksonville. It's a pretty good food places there. I have a good friend who's a chef who's like, yeah, there's actually some better food options that even in like parts of Miami and other things, which has a pretty good food scene. So, um, so you know, it, it, it's something, it's, it's a really good question. I think some of it, we really can't tell exactly, but I think if, as long as the kind of migration continues, and I, I think a lot of what's driving that um, is policy, you know, is like when they're making it easy for businesses. I mean, you saw this with Elon Musk, who was basically being recruited by the governor of Texas. Hey, what do you want? You know, do you want less taxes? Do you want land? What do you want? And just finding a way to, to pull them out. And I think that's going to, that, that type of thing is going to continue to happen. So I think for that reason, um, you know, that market and even, you know, the markets you're buying in Texas and Arizona, they're desirable areas because it's, it's to me, it just feels more common sense than what we do here in California. <laughs> well, I will say that, and, and, and the contrary to that, like I've, I've been investing in Austin for many, many years now and Austin is becoming unaffordable. It's becoming California, right? And you're, it, it is probably the shining light of a transition of a secondary market transitioning into primary market, but then also having all the issues that a primary market has real big population growth 
right? That can't then infrastructure can't keep up with. Then you're having affordability. The homeless population in 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 Austin was nuts throughout the pandemic, and you 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 start to then be like, oh crap! Now we we want everyone to come, but now we can't we can't we everything becomes unaffordable now. So there's there is that the fine balance, right, of, of this this move. And it's going to be interesting as over the next five years how these markets transition and how they cope with that transition. Because what we're seeing, at least on the buy side in multifamily day, you know, I'm buying sub four caps in Arizona and Texas. I could buy a 4.5 cap here in California. So yes, my price per pound is probably cheaper in those secondary markets, but cap rate to cap rate, you're like, well, hang on, what makes... Now all of a sudden, the Inland Empire looks really, really attractive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's it's you know part of the reason I went to buy in Texas back in the day is because I was buying at 80 k a door. Well, now I'm buying at two hundred k a door. That's incredible. Like it's insane. Like I'm a, a deal in, yeah. in Phoenix. I'm looking to buy two thirty a door. Where twelve months ago that same deal was one hundred and fifty k a door. Yeah. So it's 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 going to be very interesting to see as we come turn this corner. I'm, I'm saying a lot of things here. But you know, trend, you know, areas transitioning, the valuations growing. Guess what's also growing? The valuation here in California in terms of price per pound. And how does that does it become as sexy to buy in these markets? What's the new low price yeah. per pound when you know we, we've got so much experience buying at such even you know drastically lower prices back in the day, and and, and how that transitions and, and and affordability and all the rest of it. I have one thought on that real quick. Um, and it kind of goes back to, we're talking about the global kind of macroeconomics, right? We have all this new money in the system. So it's not like, oh, things are just really high and they're going to go back low again. I personally think that there may be a stabilization, but I think we're at kind of the new normal where again, mm-hmm. you just, you know, there's no mechanism the federal government has once you've released all this money out there to like put it back or put it back in it. Like it's just, it's just out there. So if you look kind of over time, rents, and inflation, there's a trend line. I mean, almost it's almost lockstep what inflation is and what rents are. Rents are a little lagging. So there's typically a little lag on that. Usually it's like a 12-month lag or so, but in general, they keep pace with inflation. So I personally think that, you know, like let's say somebody doesn't want to live in Jacksonville, it's 1500 a month. Well, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to, you know, Buckwheat, Iowa? Are you going to like somebody like, where I guess you go somewhere that you go to another country? What are you going to do? Hmm. So I think again, we think of dollars as being wealth when it's like. The dollar, you know, dollars are not money, they're currency. And there's a difference, right? You know, like dollars are just simply things. They're just pieces of paper, but real assets are things that we have. So I think that, you know, I I think in general, like, you know, we're going to look at stuff and look back in five, 10 years and be like, man, we only paid 200 thousand a door for this stuff, whatever. And now we're paying five. It's it's not like a high and low kind of thing because what's happened is just incredible irresponsibility, in my opinion, on the part of the government, just to just to release all of this money and just continue to, you know, they actually asked Biden, they said, and I don't want to be political, but they said, what's your answer to inflation? And he started to say, well, you know, if they just pass my build back better $2 trillion spending. And it's like, you don't understand, like if you're handing out money to people in the short term, that helps, right? Because you have more money to pay your bills. But in the long run, it actually hurts the people that's trying to help. The people that don't have assets get really hurt. And that's what's unfortunate. You know, the idea of we're serving the people that are renting these buildings, they are the ones that kind of get destroyed through inflation, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, no, and I'll... You know, the, the the counter argument to that is and 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 knowing that two thousand and eight was was a was a was a U.S. problem, right? The response in the time of the pandemic is 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 monetary stimulation, right? And everyone across the globe needed that. So what's interesting today is is you, yes, you, I agree with, with with some points you're saying in there, but you couldn't also be seen doing nothing in the pandemic. No one could around the world. No 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 government could be like, hey, what? Guess what? You got to stay in the freaking house and Good luck if you can't afford it, right? They, they, they've got to be seen to be doing something, right? Which has then has, you know, there's always, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that, but now, now we're in this problem of inflation. Well, right. the only silver lining to all of that is that every single economy around the world had to do the same thing, and that was release money, right? Stimulus. And that is now in the problem of inflation. So we're all at the same starting block. Where 2008 was an American problem trickled around the world, Today's problem, we're all at the same starting block. Everyone had to do the same thing to get through the current freaking situation of COVID. Now it's like, okay, how do we turn up the, the interest rates and what who's 
playing chicken, like you go first, Japan, or you go first, United States, and you go first, Europe, you know, and how they're going to try and bring back inflation, which will ultimately, you know, over history, we've never seen any government land that plane well. <laughs> and right. so I think a lot of people are saying, well, hurry up and get on with it. If you're going to have a recession, let's do it. Let's get back, you know, get back to it. But I do, I do agree with what you're saying earlier about there's money in the system. Again, not just the US system, across the right. globe, because every single country had to be seen to be doing something with their citizens because there's a global pandemic, right? And we haven't seen this in 100 years. So it's, it's, it's a worldwide problem, which is, I think, sets the playing field a little easier rather than uh, back in 2008 looking at the lessons learned. But I do think you're right. It, it is now the new floor. It's not the new ceiling, right? I don't, sure. I don't, I don't think a 80, I don't think we're going to see 80K a door again, you know, unless, right. I don't even know, unless, unless you know, legal immigration comes back and there's a lot, but, but even then your cost of production, you know, that's going to have another massive issue because you're going to have to build more. Well, hang on, right. supply chain screwed. I can't get all the stuff here. So that's going to cost. So it's very complex, but I, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. I don't see us going, slipping backwards to where we were in 2015, when I first got started, I bought my first property for $65,000, $70,000 a door. So, um, yeah, I just, just had to bring that around to, to, yeah. to, as the international in the room, you know, to be like, hey, guys, we've got to take a step back and look at everyone's in the same freaking boat, right? We're all trying to get the water out of the boat uh, in a sinking ship. And so, anyway, I'll, I'll shut up. But any comments on that before we wrap up? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's uh, – and I think, you know, it's it's this – interesting you know nobody knows what's going to happen nobody knows the next five ten you know we don't we don't don't have a way out this is what it's going to look like but and i do think there is a risk of some short-term deflation that all of a sudden they raise rates and all of a sudden you know things housing goes down in general across the board you know single family multifamily cap rates go up uh my hope is that i said my hope but i i think what will happen is that uh, rents will continue to rise because there'll be kind of a stagflationary type of thing where right. you know things get worse while inflation's high, which causes rents to be high. So it kind of stabilizes. So that's I, I, th- I think what, but I just think we're so short of you know we're short somewhere between six and eight million housing units in the U.S. and so we need all the apartments we can get. So what we do, you know, we're, I don't know if you're doing you're trying to do as much workforce housing. We're doing more kind of the C plus. B minus kind of stuff, but we need as much as we can get. So I think, yep. you know, we know there's going to be demand and uh, it's a great place to be. Yep. No, I have a whole thesis on uh seventies and sixties product. <laughs> Everyone yeah. doesn't want to touch it with a, with a, with a, with a 10 foot pole. And I'm like, <laughs> Hey, it ain't going anywhere. You know, like yeah, people yeah. still need that. So uh, that's for a whole nother topic, my friend, but look <laughs> at the end of the show, we love to job, dive into the top five investing tips. Ready to get into it. Let's do it. Mate, what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Um, the best thing that I do daily, I actually, I go to a goals event every year and I actually read my goals every morning. So I have <laughs> 10 goals. I read my personal mission statement and I read, I have some affirmations that I do, but just that routine that takes five minutes. I've watched myself meet and exceed my goals every year, which and almost every year, not every year, but almost every year. Yeah. Wow, that goes back to your consistency, man. Like that's freaking yeah. awesome because I think I'm a quarterly type of guy. I've got them on my, I've got it on my board here, but I don't, you know, that's awesome. So, so consistently reading goals every day. That's that's fantastic. Question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? Um, I would say my cousin. Uh, he doesn't like getting a lot of props. So I won't name by name, but he's <laughs> an awesome guy, and he actually just got me this, which is a. Uh, little bobblehead here. I just got this last <laughs> night, but it was like, I sent him one, but it's like this little, if you look at it, <laughs> does it look like me, Reed? What do you think? <laughs> uh, the smile is a little bit off, right? And a little I, bit off, yeah. A little bit off, but I can, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or maybe in 10 years, I'll look like, anyway. So, uh, but anyway, he's been super, um, you know, super high net worth, super, you know, experienced and just having mentors like I called, hey, I'm thinking about this deal. What do you think about this? Uh, it's been really valuable. Got it. Awesome. Question number three is what the most influential tool in your business? When I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a journal or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? Yeah. So for me, um, Active Campaign. Uh, I don't know if you use Active Campaign, but one of these email marketing programs, it just does everything. I mean, it automates every one of my systems, every one of my events. It does everything. <laughs> I mean, it takes a while to learn it, but once you learn it, it's so valuable. I, I use a convert kit, but um, same, same type, same type of things. So awesome stuff. Question number four is in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? And what'd you learn from that failure? 
probably not getting started sooner in this. I think everybody who, you know, is in multifamily says, man, I wish I started sooner, but you have to be kind to yourself and say, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, but you know, I wish I'd started sooner. But part of me turning 40 was like, you know, I'm just going to go for it. Life's too short, you know, not to go after my dreams. And there's a quote that says at the end of your life, you will regret more of the things that you didn't do rather than the things that you did. And so I was like, you know, I, I don't want to live with any regrets. So I'm just going to go for it. But I wish I'd started sooner. That's made look great for 40, by the way. So, yeah. so well done. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Can't say I have less hair than I did when I was 30. <laughs> Last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation that want to be in your sphere? Where do they go? Yeah. So um, I love connecting with investors passively or actively. Um, I have, you mentioned this guy, the single best investing strategy during and after or during or after pandemics, 24 color pages. You can find it on my website at bronsonequity.com. And uh, we also have our investor club. We're doing deals. So I love connecting with investors on that. But this has been great. Reed, love, uh, love all the value you're bringing. It's just a great in-depth interview. and just appreciate you know, all you're providing your audience here. Awesome, man. Well, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think, you know, the biggest thing, the underlying thing is consistency, like how consistent you've been over the years through everything you're doing, just the little things like the goal setting, but but even back to what's, you know, learning it from having a paper out when you're a kid, you know, so you help being consistent in your life. And then that sort of transitioned into your capital raising. So funny that you and I had literally the same story. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's a prerequisite. You have to have that happen, right? <laughs> you know, you get a couple of investors on the email list and just, I think the big thing is you don't realize how much you have to do in the content creation world to be consistent, to buy the top two inches. And so you think you're, there's a, there's a quote from a guy who, who wrote a really great book called Keep Her Some Influence. He's been on, um, on the show, Dan Priestley. He, is, he says, you're less known than what you think you are, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And 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 you you think that you're doing all this work, and you think you're well known, but really, you're not because you know you look at the Gary V's of the world and all that sort of stuff. And, and I love how you're repurposing all your content into stuff that is you know is being valuable for so many people and, and really creating a library and a and a, and a long term approach to your your content creation. And then on the inflationary side, you loved everything you had to say about that. And I do definitely think we're at the new floor. How's that going to look in the next you know ten to fifteen years? And you know, as you said, is is two hundred k a door the new eighty k a door? I don't know. Mm. We'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait to see. As long as rents keep going up and you can continue to add value. So, did I leave anything out? No, that's great, man. I just really enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully, people found some value in it. And you know, it's all it all sounds. You know, to me, when I hear it, it all kind of sounds crazy. You know, you raised this amount of money and you've done all this, but it's you know, it's only just one. You're one step away. So, anybody listening, mm-hmm. it's just you just one. A simple action step a day away from getting there. Love it. Love it, my friend. Look, I want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Awesome. Thanks, Reed. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Bronson. Remember, if you do want to get into his fear, go over to bronsonequity.com. He's got a great downloadable piece of advice about how to invest during and after a pandemic. Uh, If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And remember, all the links from today's show will be up on my website at reedgoosens.com. Again, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to continue to grow your financial IQ. We're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold be brave and go give life a crack.